Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It's that time again. We are back and we've got, I say we, because Mike's here. Mike, about damn time. Where you been, man? Goofing off? I'm back in the stud house. That's right. <laughs> That's right. If you're on Mike's YouTube, you know what we're studs. talking about. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't know, we whenever we have the ability to, and we're in an uh, area where we can hit our video, we've started video recording on Zoom, our podcast, as we record them. A lot of that is because we're going to start putting shorts out. We have started putting shorts out on the Cashflow Guys YouTube channel. But more importantly, we've got feedback from our listeners. They like to kind of see what what we're what we're doing and, and where we're at. And right now, Mike is surrounded by bare studs, which isn't a a joke for like you know Key West real estate. Instead, it's a, <laughs> he's a, he's in his backyard and he's got a office building that he bought and had installed in his backyard. And he's going to turn that into a studio. So right now it's at bare studs. He just had the electrician come by. That looks good, by the way. Don't forget the, the nail strips. Don't you need those? Yeah, yeah. I got to remind myself and get those things. But for those of you that haven't seen us on YouTube yet, you just go to go to YouTube and type in Cash Flow Guys, and we'll pull up and a couple rappers. And I think you can the guys can look at the thumbnails and tell the difference. We're not the rappers. Wait, what are we talking a cash about? Cash Flow Guys rapper? Is that what you said? Yeah, there's a. Cash flow guy is a is apparently a rapper, gangster rapper or something rather. Oh, Chicago. I, on the other hand, am no longer in Yellowstone National Park. I am back in Florida. I'm in Tarpon Springs temporarily. I got my one one of my vehicles in the shop getting worked on here because that's just impossible to accomplish in Key West. Everybody, the folks are on island time down there, so trying to get a car fixed in Key West is a, is pointless. And apparently that's the same situation in Salida, Colorado, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I uh, obviously living here, I'm not a, on a time constraint. Where I have to fix my car in a day like you did. But I was I was curious because when you called all the shops in Salida, they they kind of told you the same thing that there's a shortage of mechanics, and yep, uh, we've got a, a plethora of mechanic shop in town. However, they all have these waiting lists that are months and months and months long. Uh, sometimes you got to wait three months to bring your car into the shop. Yeah, I was being told August, September, and October, and I was told that half the shops are on the verge of going out of business because they don't have staff. Wow. Plenty of business, but no staff, which kind of brings us to this episode today, talking about how control can turn into opportunity. So on my way back from Yellowstone, I swung by uh, Salida, Colorado, and I wanted to see this Salida that Mike talks about and loves so much. Wanted to get get a take on it. And we spent, my wife and I spent a couple days there in Salida, Mike. We met with you for breakfast, and that was a good time. Got to see Janelle again in her pretty face and uh, got to really immerse ourselves in the market. Uh, what does that mean? I, you guys know me. I, I like to walk back alleys and try to figure stuff out. Spend a lot of time driving street by street by street. Our friend Larry Harbolt taught us, if any of you have been to Larry Harbolt's training, when he first moved to the Tampa Bay area, for the first year, he did nothing but every single day he would take a map and a highlighting pen, and he would drive down a street. And then once he drove down the street, he would mark it off with a ink pen. And he did that systematically for over a year. And by doing that, he learned not only the neighborhoods and all the streets and the nuances, he met a lot of people, but he got to see what goes on in each neighborhood. He got to understand where the commercial parts of town are, where the multifamily is built, where the mobile home parks are, where the nice houses are, where the crappy houses are. He used that information by getting out there in the field to learn how to become a real estate investor. I think at that point, he already had some, some real estate deals under his belt as many years ago. But um, 
it helped him really get a good, clear understanding. To this day, Mike, you ask Larry about, I don't know, you could say, tell me about Chippewa Street in uh, Bel Air, and he'll tell you all about it. Really? He'll tell you the average selling prices. What's that? You remembers? Wow. Oh, God, yeah. He just looks old. He's still sharp as a tack, let me tell you. But uh, he's probably hearing this going, yeah, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but I learned that from him, and I've been practicing that ever since that I've learned it from him. Now, have I driven every street in Pinellas County? No, but I can tell you that I have been on every single street in Key West. There's not a street that exists in Key West that I have not personally ridden my bike down or walked down. That was intentional. When I first moved to Key West, I wanted to know everything I could about the town. I wanted to learn about the history, the people, the culture, the whole nine yards. When I have a grasp on that, then and only then do I feel I can get a good grasp on how I can make money, how I can use that information to help me discover opportunity that makes me money. And that's what I want to talk about today. Fast forward to where we were when I was out in Colorado. Recently, we stopped by Salida and I spent, I don't know how many, I was there, what, four days? I got there on Thursday, left on Monday. So four days, something like that, five days, uh, checking things out. And we went down all the back alleys, drove every street in the city, uh, really got a good thumb on what's happening there. And with that, I then took a lot of pictures because Mike wasn't with me the whole time. He was out playing pilot. So I got, I took pictures so that I could then discuss the stuff that I found, which is pretty darn exciting uh, in case he hadn't seen it, which in a lot of cases you hadn't. Is that that accurate? The places you told me about, I had no clue were there. Right. But the places you love are on the other side of the building. <laughs> yeah. On the pretty side. Yeah. And I'm the same way. A lot of times, you know, you go, I go to a new town. I'm naturally curious. I want to figure out what's going on, but I drove through a lot of America that I probably missed because I was trying to get to where I'm going. Right. I was looking for, like, for example, going out to Yellowstone. I don't really remember anything until we got to Yellowstone. Oh, you made a beeline for it. Yeah. Right. Because we went, we were already got a late start. We wanted to get rolling. You know, we wanted to get out there while the animals were still waking up for the wintertime. So we didn't spend a lot of diddling around time on a way out to Yellowstone. The only problem with that is, is that we miss a ton of opportunity along the way. But in Salida, that town is slammed with opportunity. So I guess we can just dive in there, right, Mike? Yeah, it's funny. So before this, we hit the record button. We were talking about that the opportunity that I've seen is different what Tyler's seen, and mine, I guess, was more superficial. I see the problems, but I didn't. My internal mind coming up with a solution to the problems were, were very different from Tyler's. Right. Um, Tyler's has more to do with control rather than money. Mine had more to do with money than control, right. which was. A different whole mindset shift. You know, Tyler's been doing this for a, a few decades more than I have. And so he sees things differently in regards to, you know, most people listening to this, most people thinking of real estate investing say, oh, I could solve any problem with money. But this problem episode is, is <laughs> yeah, but this episode is like, no, 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 it's not the money, it's the control. Right. And control not necessarily is a ton of money as. Right. As, as you're about to share. And you shocked me when you're talking about my town because I was under the same mindset. I'd love to preserve this. I, I love this house. I, I don't want it to be destroyed and torn down, but I don't have enough money to acquire it with full, full control. But after, I would like to for you to share what you've seen in this town and how you can control it with a lot less money. Well, we can start with your next door neighbor. So Mike lives Karen. next to a Karen, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. She's a wonderful woman. Her name is Karen. 
Uh, she's an older woman that has lived in that house all of her life. Mm-hmm. I found that interesting. So on that piece of land, it's two lots and it's a duplex. There's two, two homes there, places to live. The house is old, you know, what, probably 1800s, Mike, 19, early 1900s. Yeah, 1880s or 1890s. Right. Um, when she grew up, she knew who used to live in my house. So she could tell me all about, uh, I forget the woman's name. She had a, a peg leg. Yeah, she told me that. She, she told you about the, the peg floors. leg? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thunking on the floors. Yes. <laughs> so in talking to Karen, I've never met her before, but Mike had told me her name, which made it easier for a warm introduction. Mike and Janelle had already left. They were leaving to go to the Black Hills on a short vacation, which they had scheduled for a long time. Um, but we were. I was sitting out in front of Mike's house waiting for FedEx to show up so I could get my mail. <laughs> <laughs> So Karen came out as Mike, you'd predicted she would. And I struck up a conversation with her and I started talking to her and just asking general questions, you know, showing her that I'm interested in what she's got going on in which she was quite receptive. What I learned from that conversation was, is that she does not like what's going on in Salida. She's not happy there. And what's going on in Salida is the city government is embracing essentially homelessness and encouraging homelessness by allowing people to sleep in cars on the streets. Now, when I when Mike first told me that, I thought, oh, my God, it's going to be like San Francisco. And it's not like that. Um, not at all. But what she also saw was is that, you know, there's a the property values have just gotten out of control. So for her, she says, it's just gotten too expensive to live here. So I asked her, I'm like, well, do you still have uh, do owe payments on your house? And she says, no, I have a reverse mortgage. Okay, well, how has the boon in the housing market impacted you? Uh, and she really didn't have an answer for that. See, a lot of times we get caught up in certain beliefs, even though those things don't really impact us. And what I mean by that is she's been programmed that housing is expensive and her housing situation has not changed in 72 years. Her housing expense has not really gone up. She has no mortgage. She actually has a reverse mortgage. So she gets checks from a mortgage company that she can deposit into her bank account. Her property taxes have gone up, granted, uh, but not very much. You know, that's really a, a small number. However, that was enough to tilt the scales where she does not want to be in Salida anymore. She wants to leave and go somewhere else. But the problem is, where would she go? Because we, you know, people say this all the time about Key West. Key West is so expensive. Well, you should move out to Kansas. Nobody wants to live in Kansas. Sorry for all of you who live in Kansas, but I'm sure I lived in Kansas. You would agree with me. Not a whole lot out there in Kansas to get excited about, unless you like wheat, a lot of it, and corn. So she's kind of in a catch-22, but really what it comes down to, and in talking to her and asking more questions, she really is cash poor. She's real estate rich and cash poor. She knows that her home is appreciated exponentially. You know, Last time she did a reverse mortgage, she got, what was it, Mike, 300 grand? 300, yeah, which was at the, the time that was a deal, but now right. she could probably get over six. Right. Now it's double, let's say, but she is she needs more cash because everyday expenses is what's gone up for her. Inflation has taken off. I went to a Mexican restaurant in Salida, had a basic meal, uh, my wife and I, no alcohol, and it was $155. And I was yeah. like, good God almighty. I mean, yeah. it's Mexican food. That should be like under $10. But that's the problem. See, people like her, she doesn't have, her income doesn't rise with inflation. 
but her everyday expenses going to the grocery store. She doesn't even like to leave the house anymore. Everything has gotten so expensive. She needs more cash and the house is the only thing she has to make that, that work. Add to that, uh, her husband is, is older than her. He's on oxygen and they're kind of on their last legs. So you say to yourself, well, how can I have that solve that problem? I mean, I can buy her house from her, but then where is she going to go? She can't afford it anywhere else. And how long will $600,000 last in today's rental market? Well, a while, but maybe not enough for her because, you know, the cost of groceries has gone skyrocket. And it's emotionally traumatizing, I could imagine, for somebody that's lived in a place for over 60 years to suddenly pack up their toys and leave. So the fact remains, how do we help this woman and make a profit at the same time? And here's a very simple solution. Having that conversation with her, I had asked her, what would she do with the, you know, if she went and got a bigger reverse mortgage, what would she do with the proceeds? She said, well, she would set it in the bank and draw off of it as time goes on. Well, the problem with that is inflation is going to eat away at that because bread and milk and potatoes and everything keeps going up in value. So then I said to her, I'm like, well, if you realize if you increase the amount of your reverse mortgage, they're going to, that doesn't get done for free. There are fees with that. They're going to bleed off more equity off of your property. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's not all it's cracked up to be. You really got to look at the math behind a reverse mortgage to make sure it's, it's right for you. And I said, you know, I hate to say it, but how long do you feel you're going to need money for? In other words, mortality. Let's talk about that. How much longer do you guys think you're going to live? She goes, oh, we'll probably be dead in a couple of years, maybe 10. Okay. So if that's the case, or, and I said, well, then what happens if you guys, I see he's on the oxygen. If you guys talk, talked about, you know, any sort of an assisted living or having a nurse, they have a special needs adult child that lives with them that lives next door in that other house. And they got a lot of things to consider. They don't really have any heirs to leave anything to because the kid has special needs. So they got a lot of, a lot of questions. I said, well, you know, what if there's a scenario where you got an extra, I don't know, if you're getting, if you're used to getting $500 a month now, maybe you, what, how would it change things if you were getting $750 a month? She's like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Okay. So what that means is Mike could enter into a contract with her and you sit down with a good real estate attorney to structure this. I'm not an expert in that, but you can get on the phone with somebody like Sean Yesner and figure out a way to structure something to where you could basically buy her house in advance. Yes, it's delayed gratification, but make no mistake. She's not going to live another 20 years. No way. And if Mike, you give her $250 a month and she even lives 10 years, let's do that math real quick. Let's figure out what that looks like. So if we did 250 a month times 12, that's $3,000 a year. And if you give her that for 10 years, that's $30,000. And in exchange for that $250 a month, she will put you on the deed, let's say tenants of the entireties or whatever, such that when she passes, the home then becomes yours. So essentially you become a second reverse mortgage holder on the home. Yeah. I'd now again, guys, before you do this, you need to get you need to sit down with an attorney that understands reverse mortgages to do this right. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean, you didn't really cut me off. When you told me that the light went bulb went off, I never thought of a second reverse mortgage. Yeah. It's a genius idea because, uh, you know, she's told me 
that like she told you she's kind of strapped for cash and she knows her house is worth double than what it was assessed for the original reverse and she knows that you can't just refinance reverse right and so she was distraught and confused of what to do and holy crap that's an easy solution where i come in it is because let's be honest hey mike if i said to you hey mike can you can you go ahead and and uh, liquid liquefy uh, 300 grand for me real quick I got a great deal. Can you come up with three hundred grand, three hundred thousand dollars cash by the end of the day? Oh, no, no, nobody can. Well, I'm sure somebody can, but hell, sure as hell isn't me. And I know no, it's not Mike. Not me. So you're basically taking an amount that you wouldn't miss, discretionary cash. And I don't know what the number is. Maybe the number is five hundred a month. Whatever it may be. Maybe it's seven fifty a month. But you're locking down future appreciation. What you enter into is a contract that has a profit margin. And let's say three years from now, Mike can't fly. Maybe, I don't know, uh, he got dust in his eye and it affected his vision. Now he can't be a pilot. Then Mike needs money because he's used to being a pilot and getting pilot pay. And that that changes at a blink with, a, with, a, with the pilots because of the medical, right? Mm-hmm. So Mike can't fly anymore and he needs money. Well, what he has is this arrangement with the lady next door. He could take that arrangement and say, hey, Tyler, I'd like to assign the benefits of this contract to you. Oh, wow. How does that work? Well, I need a couple hundred thousand dollars cash to go get this procedure to get my eye fixed. And because I can't fly, I lost my insurance and I'm in a real pickle. Well, he can then sell, sell me his rights to that contract or assign me his rights to that contract. I can step in his place. I can buy him out. So let's say... Mike needs $200,000 today. And I look at this contract and I determine that house today is worth $600,000. What's it worth in the future? Well, let's say I think this lady's going to live five more years. Well, Salida has seen 25% appreciation year over year for the last decade. Oh, yeah. So if the house is worth six hundred dollars now, it's going to be worth, let's just say conservatively, 20% more, hell, even 10% more. It's going to appreciate at a rate of $60,000 on year one, $66,000 on year two. And don't hold me on the numbers, but my point is it's a pretty much a no-brainer. I would love to jump in the middle and step in the way and get that from Mike. Because if the lady died tomorrow, Mike is up Mm $300,000. And he's only spent whatever he gives her every month, $500, $250, whatever it works out to be. He's only given her... X amount. So the you know the longer she lives, the less he makes. But the upside is so huge, it could serve serve to his benefit. Now you guys are probably going to say, "Well, who would do that?" I'll tell you who would do that: a woman in Salida, Colorado, that values five hundred dollars a month is more of a life changing thing than a lump sum payment sometime in the future. And it's not just her. About thirty percent of the town is in that same situation. Exactly, and that's the case in every town in, in America. Yeah. And there are lots of people like Tyler that have cash sitting around idle doing nothing that would be loved to buy out that contract because look at the future value of that. Apply time value of money to those calculations. On day one, that deal gives me $300,000 gross equity. I paid Mike 200000 of that today. Wow. And then if the lady goes on five years, the property appreciates exponentially. Let's say even at ten percent, that's fifty thousand a year. That's another twenty five thousand dollars, or uh, 
yeah, at 600,000, it'd be 10, $60,000 a year times five is another $300,000 in upside. All I did was part with 200 grand cash to solve Mike's problem and picked up Mike's responsibility of giving her the $500 a month or whatever we worked out to give her. Wow. That's creative financing. So I'm always thinking about notes and note investing in the forward sense, you know, but now that when you switch it, obviously it's a reverse mortgage. It kind of twists your mind. But then when you think about it, you're right. $250 a month. And now I have full control of an asset that could potentially be 600. Yes. And a lot of folks don't think about this stuff because number one, they don't like delayed gratification. Everybody wants to get rich now. That's the only reason gurus sell wholesaling courses because everybody thinks they're going to get a $50,000 assignment fee and that's going to solve all their problems. Yeah, yeah. That's not the case. It'll create probably more problems than it ever solves. There's a great example of opportunity literally right next door. Wow. Uh, across the street, right? You get the same situation. You got houses that are in various states of repair. Um, the houses on Mike's side of the road are very nice. The houses across the street, uh, they're deferred maintenance, a lot of deferred maintenance. And that's because the folks that own them are aging. They can't do the work themselves. Uh, they don't have the resources to get, hire someone. I don't know the last time you hired a contractor to do anything, but the prices of building and, and subs is just through the ceiling. Yeah, especially when you're out in the middle of nowhere. It's really right. hard to find a contractor. But that's right. The, the sad part is, you know, you talk about across the street. Everyone across the street is the same situation. Yes. They retired on a fixed income, pension, right. social security, whatnot. And it worked because uh, 20, 30 years ago, this town was pretty low cost. They call, it used to be they called it the ghetto. Uh, not so much anymore. Now it's kind of heading towards the way of Vail, Colorado, which everything yes. is uber wealthy. Real estate has gone through the roof. But yet the people who have been here for 30 years, they can't keep up with that. And that's why the roofs are falling apart. And the houses, you could see there was beauty in the architecture built in the 1800s, but they can't afford it anymore because now their fixed income is disappearing a lot faster than they anticipated because inflation and cost of living here. That's right. You know, the purpose of the episode is about opportunity, right? Getting opportunity by getting control. Now, if we talk, the more we talk about Salida, Colorado, you guys probably have this picture in your head like, what? But the folks that have been there, everybody loves it. It's like the number one travel destination, I think, in the state of Colorado, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. The thing that we have to realize here, guys, is that just because something doesn't make sense as a long-term investment, for example, I probably wouldn't buy something and hang on to it for 30 years in Salida, Colorado, because I don't think what's going on in Salida, Colorado is sustainable. I think they are a market that will crash, and when they do, it will crash hard. And the reason for that is the geography, where it is as compared to infrastructure, it's removed. I know. I drove there. It's in the middle of freaking nowhere. It takes a couple hours to get to, to uh, Denver or you know, a couple hours to get to Colorado Springs, and then you got to climb go through the mountains. I mean, that must be a hoot in the wintertime. Better you than me, Mike. Yeah, they close out the roads. But the short-term opportunity in Salida is off the chain. Uh, you know, if you look at Salida from an investment standpoint, the, if you execute a five-year plan or a 10-year plan in a town like Salida, Colorado, you'll, you'll be a multimillionaire out of there because the demand right now is so strong for Salida, Colorado. It's ridiculous, the demand, um, more so than anywhere else I saw in the state of Colorado. People are just clamoring. 
And the difference is, is that people say, well, if you say Vail, Colorado or Breckenridge, people automatically think, woo, swanky, expensive. Yeah. Everything's gorgeous. Steamboat Springs, same deal. They're right. Everything's gorgeous. Infrastructure's in place. There's not a crappy house in the whole city, any of them. Um, uh, what was the other place I, I was at recently? I'm trying to think. I tell you, out in uh, Wyoming. Oh, not Cody, uh, Jackson Hole. Jackson, Jackson, Wyoming. Gorgeous town. No plate, no broken down anything. Everything's gorgeous. So it's already hit its cap. It's gentrified and it keeps growing and whatnot. But Salida is on the beginning stages of this. There is a boatload in the next five to seven years of money to be made in a town like Salida, Colorado. Because you've got people that are older, that are on a fixed income, that can't keep up with the maintenance. If you could insert yourself in there in that scenario, like we just talked about, or unfortunately, when people pass, get in the deals. You don't have to be the guy that does the flip. You can go do a wholesale deal. You can get it locked up under contract. Because I, what I know about Salida, Colorado, and I hate to say this, there are no, I have not seen any realtors that can hold their weight. And when it comes to marketing in Salida, Colorado, <laughs> it's they true. all, I walked by all of their real estate offices. Yep. Their marketing plans are terrible. I talked to a couple of them. Like you guys, I don't ever see any digital marketing. I never see properties for sale in Salida unless they're dealt up to me by realtor.com. And like, oh yeah, we don't do all of that. They're very old school. They only want to sell to other people in Salida. Well, if Jimmy won't buy it, it's going to sit on the market for a while. That's mind-blowing to me. But what I see is if you could take the place of that realtor and then become that wholesaler and get that thing under contract, and some guy in Denver at 3 o'clock in the morning in his boxer shorts that's always wanted to live in Salida, he'll pay a flipping premium to live there. They will. Oh, so yeah. you get Granny's house under contract at 600000 Granny's tickled pink. And now you market the hell out of it in Denver, Colorado. Well, Jimmy will pay seven fifty for that same thing. Well, you just created one hundred and fifty dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in spread. That's how wholesaling is supposed to be done. You're supposed to leave some meat on the bone, so that Jimmy can get a deal, and then he can go do the renovations because he's like your neighbor's house. You talk about a quarter million dollars worth of renovations on that between the cost of renovations these days and the inability of inavailability of contractors. Quarter million is a drop in the bucket. You can't do diddly pop for a quarter million anymore. It's true, uh, especially in two buildings. But there is a gold mine opportunity right in front of us. Wow, that wow. doesn't need credit. You don't need money. I would maybe put a thousand dollars down in earnest money or something like that. You know, um, because I this is what I guarantee you: in a town like Salada, Salada Colorado, you are going to close. You're going to find a buyer. Just like Key West, you're going to have a buyer, no problem. You will absolutely find a buyer because demand is so great. But don't try this, guys, in Terre Haute, Indiana, because nobody wants to live in Terre Haute, Indiana or Elder, Oklahoma, I drove through. Good God, I don't know what's going on in that town, but it ain't nothing good. So you, you bring up a good point. So everyone looks at Key West. They look at uh, Jackson. It looks overly developed, right? Mm-hmm. But the prices of real estate is very high. The same thing they look at Salida. Oh, $650,000 for a house I need to tear down? Oh, no way. I'm not getting into that market. And I guarantee you people who are listening to this are going to go on realtor.com and look at houses over here, and they're going to see that. Across the street from me, $625,000 just closed last week. It's a condemned house. Right. And people will be scared away from that. I initially was. But you're right. If we start thinking creatively, how can we solve the problem of the, the neighborhood? And you have, really have to understand what's going on here. Like, like you have by talking to everybody. 
That's right. Then you can realize, hey, the price is scaring away most investors, but there's still a way for me to get in and solve a problem and make money at it. There absolutely is. I talked to a woman there who's an older woman who's lived in Salida for about 30 years now. And this is a different woman that was that runs a museum there. And she was telling me that she used to keep an apartment and she's an artist and she used to keep an apartment in uh, Denver. But her, as of two years ago, her let her rent for that apartment went as it's a one bedroom, little tiny apartment in Denver went up to almost $4,000 a month in Denver, Colorado. I believe it. Yeah. Imagine that. Well, it's not even that expensive in Key West. So for her, Salida made more sense because it was affordable uh, as compared to Denver. And it's not Denver. Who wants to live in Denver, by the way? Blech. I know, not me. I'm not a big city guy, right? But there you go. So guys, all over the country, this opportunity exists. It's in every market. But don't people start flipping places in the hood because they think it's low-hanging fruit. It's not. You have to work too hard. Be lazy. Go find properties in places that people want to buy. Leave some meat on the bone. If you know you can get it sold for $750, maybe sell it for seven and leave some gravy in there for the buyer. You know why? Because that buyer's going to come back and someday buy another one or refer you to someone else. And that's worth much more than $50,000, in my opinion. Parting thoughts on that, Mike? Well, I learned something on this episode. And it's you can't think how everybody else thinks, really. Right. For example, you went down F Street, which is the name of the, the main street you were going down. You just showed me pictures of the alleyway. Right. It's beautiful because about uh, about 20 years ago, the city put a lot of money into cleaning it. This, this town used to be the ghetto. Right? right, It used to be a big railroad town. The railroad collapsed. And just like you see in Detroit, uh, outside Pittsburgh, those towns where they had a big industrial center that disappeared, the town went to hell. And that's what happened here. But then about 20 years ago, there a lot of money came in to clean up the sidewalks, to clean up the facade of the buildings built in the 1890s. It looks like the old Wild West from the outside. It's gorgeous. All these little shops, lofts above that you can't, because of new current zoning laws, you can't build this anymore. So it's very special. But then Tyler walked the alleyways behind the facade, and then he saw what it used to look like 20, 30 years ago, where you, you showed me fire escapes with rungs missing. And I mean, it looks like the, the ghetto out of New York City. I couldn't believe when you just showed me the pictures a few years ago, what it looks like in the alleys compared to what I'm used to seeing. Right. So it's the same thing what we're talking about. If you go through a town, the Jackson Hole, and it's the whole facade. Oh, there's no way I can make money here. You have to look in the back alleys and really think outside the box. You can't think like everybody else is thinking. Like you just walked through the, the realtor. I didn't realize you talked to the realtors over here too. But yeah, they're oh, very yeah. old school. Uh, we, we, we don't like to sell outside of the town because we don't have to work for it. So those it, of you, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, please. Those of you, I just wanted to pop up a picture real quick. Those of you on YouTube, I'm going to pop up a picture and scroll through a couple of pictures here uh, to kind of show you what we're what Mike's talking about as he as he talks. Continue, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So here's one of the alleyways, and this one isn't the bad one either. From going down F Street, you would never. I never knew that this existed here. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, over here, the here's the alleyway. Oh, yikes, look at this. Graffiti and everything. So this is what the town used to look like 20, 30 years ago. This part hasn't been cleaned up because it's not in sight of, of the public. 
But for those of you not on YouTube, what we're looking at is a picture of a fire escape, a very narrow fire escape, but definitely not to code uh, out the back of a building. And what's important to note about that is in this building, there are 16 apartments upstairs. Yeah. And there's and only one way out of the building because the fire escape is defunct. So you think yourself, high rents too. I mean, oh yeah. there's, they're $2,500 a month for these apartments up here. And this is what the alley looks like. Nobody's putting pressure on the owner to solve this problem. You're right. As a humanitarian, I feel compelled to call code enforcement to get them out there to say, we need to solve this problem right away. And when that happens in a town and code enforcement gets proactive, maybe spending time at the code enforcement board going, why do we have uh, second floor apartments, lots of them with dilapidated fire escapes? Why is it the city doing something to put uh, some em- some emphasis on these owners to get them to fix this thing because we're going to have mass casualties if there was ever a fire in this building. Who's going to be responsible for that? You see, planting that seed, now then the city council or whoever you're talking to is going to think, oh boy, we better solve that. They're going to go knock on this guy's door and say, you need to do the right thing and fix this fire escape because this is a hazard. I mean, there's literally, I'm looking at the top here, you guys are watching it on video, you can see right here, there's rungs missing there's like three, four rungs missing from this ladder. And when you fall, you get to fall on the main power feed that goes into the building. What a treat. <laughs> right? So if that landlord now, that slumlord gets the, sees that the city's gonna not going to tolerate his garbage, he's probably going to become a motivated seller. And when he becomes a motivated seller, that opens up the door for you to get an opportunity. I know it's you guys are thinking, ah, oh, Tyler, you can't be a rat. That's not being a don't be a child. This isn't uh, you know, New York City mafia type stuff. It's the bottom line is do you want to see people die in a fire? Well, then maybe you you could do some benefit and be a humanitarian and let the city know they need to get this taken care of before people die. Children get get hurt and die. What if a kid climbs up that ladder and falls flat on his face and winds up dead? That's a problem. But that also creates motivation, and don't forget that. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's a good point because nobody wants to be considered the rat, especially in town. But right. uh, in, in the end, you're solving a problem. You absolutely are because clearly nobody else is taking the initiative to do it. No. So huh. to summarize, guys, the bottom line is, as I say all the time, Mike, you said it as well. There's opportunity everywhere, but you got to get out there and roll up your sleeves and look for it. And here's a classic example of walking down the alley in a town I've never been in, and I can start to uncover what's going on. I can start to see the picture. It doesn't mean I'm any smarter than anybody else. It just means that I happen to go to Salida, Colorado and take a different path when I walk down the sidewalk than Mike did. Mike has seen plenty of opportunity in Salida, different opportunity. Uh, There's retail space there that can be arbitrage. There's all kinds of things going on in that town where you can make a killing. These are just additional opportunity items that are frankly easier to accomplish because they don't require you to have a whole lot of capital to solve them. So, yeah, yeah, and that, that's the important message here. You don't need to be a millionaire to to solve these problems. I learned sure. something today because I always thought I it was too far out of my reach. Right. But wow, the whole reverse mortgage idea, a second reverse mortgage. Wow. It's never too far out of our reach. See, limiting beliefs. And I'm going to leave it and end with this. Guys, for many years, I suffered from limiting beliefs. What you were just talking about, Mike. Tyler doesn't have enough money to go make a difference in my community because I just don't have the money. I, you know, I'm just happen to be 900. Larry Harbaugh used to say, I'm $999,000 short of having the million dollars I needed to pull the trigger on this deal. <laughs> That's how I used to think. 
And that's how Larry used to think. But when you start to think, you step back and you look at, how can I make this work? Who else can I bring to the equation? Do I need to eat the whole pizza or can I just eat the fillings off the top? And in reality, the satisfying part of the pizza are the fillings anyway, right? <laughs> Unless you're in New York, then you get the good crust. But outside of New York State, the crust is garbage anyway. And no matter where you go, even in Salida, Colorado, you guys had great pizza toppings, but your crust sucked. <laughs> I never went to Atticus. <laughs> right? But um, my point is this, guys, the opportunity is there. You just got to put yourself out there and ask, how can I solve a problem? I know it sounds corny and, you know, oh, it doesn't really work in the real life. It absolutely does work in the real life. Mike's going to get out there, knock on some doors, figure out what he can do to inject himself into some of these opportunities over the next year or so. And then when we, when he gets a win, or frankly, if you don't mind, Mike, even when you get a loss, somebody slams your door on the, on your face, let's come on the show and talk about it because I think it's going to help our listeners get better at, you know, getting out there and, and making themselves more proficient as investors. Yeah. So I learned something today. I'm going to, I'm going to knock on my neighbor's door and talk about this now. There you go. You need to go get a picture of tea and, and sit down with her. Cause she'll talk to you all day long. She did us. She will. So you guys, we're going to leave it right there. Appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us this week. I know this is a longer episode, but we had a lot to unpack and a lot to discover. And again, uh, this will be on our YouTube channel. So if you listen to this audibly and you want to see the photographs that we put up there, then the best way to do that is to go to YouTube, type in the word cash, the word flow, the word guys, real simple cash flow guys. No, I'm not the gangster rapper with the gold teeth. I'm the other guy. Look for the fat ball guy and the pretty skinny guy. And then you find the cash flow guys. Here we are. So guys, we'll leave it right there and we'll catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.